Welcome to Decoded, an engaging and insightful conversation with experts and policymakers who tangibly impact the economy. Welcome to our yet another episode. This is your host for today, Pankudi Srivastav. For today's discussion, we are joined by Dr. Ratan Roy, the director of the National Institute of Public Finance and Policy and a former member of the Prime Minister's Economic Advisory Council. It's indeed a privilege to have you with us, sir. Thank you. The discussion today would revolve around fiscal policy in these uncertain times. So starting with the discussion, sir, we have the first question. We have yet not seen a major fiscal stimulus on the table to deal with the economic fallout of coronavirus. What will your suggestion to the government be? Well, I don't think we need a fiscal stimulus. What we need is an income support package. Because we have to support two things. People have lost incomes for no fault of their own. We have lost incomes in the service sector because there is no demand. They have lost income in manufacturing because they can't go to work and firms and businesses have lost revenue because either because they're unable to produce or because they're unable to consume. So what the government, any government needs to do is common sense. It needs to provide income and uh, working capital support until such time as the lockdown ends and people can go back. So it's very simple. Why the government has not done it yet, I have no idea. Okay, sir. Moving on to the next question. Uh, many are comparing the current crisis to a war. Do you think that similar to a war, the worries regarding the extent of fiscal deficit should be kept aside for the moment with increased spending on revival or should the government adopt some other approach? No, I don't think the fiscal deficit is relevant this year. And I don't think the debt GDP ratio is relevant this year. What is relevant is the extent to which we can minimize the loss of income, that is, minimize the loss of GDP. Estimates show us that the loss of GDP can go to be as high as minus 2 or minus 3%, which is for the first time in certainly your lifetime, you will be seeing India shrinking its economy. Why is this going to happen? It's very easy to understand the basic macroeconomic identity, which is GDP is equal to consumption plus investment plus government spending plus exports minus imports, right? Consumption is falling, yes, sir. investment is falling, exports are shrinking and imports are shrinking. So yes. the only thing that can minimize the loss of GDP is government spending. Hmm. And therefore, government spending as a proportion of GDP is relevant when your GDP is growing and stable. Today, yeah. your GDP is falling and only government spending can prevent its fall. Therefore, the more you spend, the lower your fiscal GDP number, uh, deficit GDP number will, because the lower, lower will be the hit that you will take on your denominator. Yeah. So with the next question, we move on. Uh, with the economic activity contracting by 50 to 60% in the months of March and April, there are serious worries over the decline in tax revenue, which might end up increasing the deficits to uncontrollable levels, even before some kind of major economic package is announced. How do you think the problem of declining revenues will affect the fiscal policy in a post-COVID Indian economy? No, your revenue will decline. That's obvious because you, your, your revenue is based on two things. 
Indirect taxes are based on consumption and income taxes are based on income. Both income and consumption are going to decline over time. And therefore, your revenues will decline. Now, if your revenues decline, then you have to essentially cut non-essential expenditures. But you cannot cut total government expenditures. So you have to counterbalance that with spending. Yeah. And that spending can only come from, three, from two places. Hmm. One, as economic students understand that when you, want, when you are in a crisis like this, then money can be found by converting stocks into flows. Hmm. Essentially, when you do disinvestment, what are you doing? You're converting a stock of wealth hmm. into an flow. But there's not going to be any disinvestment either this year. So it's not just taxes, it's also disinvestment. So where are we going to find the stocks? Well, the Reserve Bank of India has about 7 to 8 lakh crores worth of reserves. Uh, if I even touch one quarter of that and put it into something called a ways and means advance, mm. then that will provide me with money to spend over this year. As I said earlier, to the extent I spend money correctly and properly and mitigate the fall in GDP, over time, my tax revenues will come back. I can then use those to extinguish the WMA window. So that's how you would manage your cash flow problem if you think about it over a two or three year period. Then, of course, you can increase borrowing and increasing borrowing is not as difficult as it might sound because what happens in circumstances like this, I'm sure it's happening to you, is that your spending goes down because you have nothing to spend on and you're sitting at home. So if your spending goes down, then your savings go up to the extent hmm. that you earn incomes. So while people who have lost incomes will obviously not be able to save, there are a lot of people like me who are not losing incomes, right, because we get a salary which is still being paid. Uh, people in the yeah. healthcare sector are going to get more income. People in the IT sector are going to get more income. So they will yeah. save more. Where will they put the saving if there's no business? So mm. that saving can be tapped. And I have written about this. I, I propose that you have something that is called a console, which was which is used in wartime, mm. which is that you offer a bond and people buy it. They get a good rate of interest on it. But the principal is not repaid. Mm. Uh, and the, uh, in theory, in perpetuity. From time to time in the future, the government can offer to buy back the bond if people want. Now, why would people be interested in such a bond? One, because it's a government bond. Therefore, yeah. it is safe and secure. Second, because they have extra saving and they don't know where to put it. So they're not so much bothered about getting the principal back as bothered hmm. about earning an income from that bond. So people who have been saving up for a house, people who have been saving up to buy that car they're not going to buy. If they park the money there, they're not going to miss it, especially because it'll be converting it into an income. So that would be the second step that the government could take. My estimate is that collectively this would make up for the shortfall in tax revenues and give you another 2 or 3% of GDP extra. And that is even before looking at wasteful expenditure by government and that sort of thing. So I don't think the financing of uh, increased expenditure is such a problem. It's quite a mystery to me why the government is basically sitting on its hands. Okay. Uh, the next question, uh, one argument that is often put forward by people is that when USA can spend 10% of its GDP on relief packages, why can't we? But some feel that the stability of the US dollar in comparison to the Indian rupee gives more flexibility to the US government to spend more. How do you think the government can balance this trade-off between more spending, more spending and a possibility of inflation? Well, the trade-off is very simple. If you spend more, but you do not achieve the outcome that you want from that spending, then you will get inflation. Hmm. 
So let's say that uh, there's a family that has lost all its income. Now, if it's lost all its income, then the demand for the stuff it was buying, let's say it was buying vegetables, right? That yeah. demand will fall, and so actually vegetable prices will fall, which is happening. Yeah. So if you give them money to go out and buy vegetables, yeah. then there will be no inflation. But if you give them money to go and buy vegetables, and when they go to the market, they find the vegetables are not available. Yeah. Then there will be inflation. Yeah. So you have to make sure that the goods and services that people want to buy are available to them. And yeah. then if you increase public spending by giving income support, then yeah. the inflation consequences will be minimal. Now, this is a big problem in India, more than, you know, the dollar or anything like that. Because the Indian yeah. government, all governments in India, any government, their record of spending money efficiently and effectively is very bad. Government yeah. has a very, very bad track record of spending money. If there are leakages, there is corruption, there's misspending, misallocation, unspent balances. It's a mess. Yeah. So unless government is able to change its track record and improve the quality, efficiency and effectiveness of its spending, it would yeah. be dangerous to increase spending. So we have a decision to take. Do we have faith that our government has capacity to spend better than its track record shows? It's yeah. like trying to trust an alcoholic. When there's a family medical emergency, the alcoholic will stop drinking and start yeah. eating delicious food. Do you trust an alcoholic to do that? If you do, then it makes sense to spend more. If you don't, yeah. then better spend less, but then the economic hit will be bad. There's no yeah. third good option. Either the government spends its money more effectively, Hmm. or it does not spend its money, realizing it cannot spend it effectively, then there'll be a GDP hit. The worst possible case is the government spends more and spends it ineffectively, and then we enter. So the next question that we have is that uh, whenever the country faces any crisis, the government always comes up with some sort of stimulus or relief package to bail the economy out of that crisis. But there's always the question of the benefit of that package reached the intended beneficiaries. Example, in the recent $350 billion package announced by US for small businesses, most of the money ended up with big listed companies. How can the government improve the efficiency and effectiveness of these fiscal packages to ensure that the benefits reach the target groups? Well, they have to start, this is what I was addressing in your last question, right? Hmm. They have to start doing business in a different way than they're doing earlier. You can't sit there and have a file and then put money in the treasury and then you know, engage in like business as usual and have poor recovery systems. You have to be very, very clear what money you're spending, who you're giving it to, and why you're giving it to them. Very, very clear. And frankly, I'm not sure that the central government has that capacity. In fact, I'm sure the central government does not have that capacity. It can at best put money into people's Jadhan accounts or something like that. So you'll have to trust the state governments. The state governments are closer to the people. Now, obviously, some are going to you know, perform better than others. And regrettably, yeah. those who perform better than others will have to be given more money because it's a national crisis. And those mm. who perform less well will have to be given less money. So we have to see who performs better and then yeah. target money towards the states to make sure that they spend money better. In mm. principle, there's nothing wrong with giving money to large industry if you have a contract. Let me give you an example. Suppose yeah. I have a contract with an airline that I'm going to give you money equivalent to, let's say, 60% of your wage bill and 60% of your working capital costs. Now, if the airline takes my money but cancels all its contracts with the suppliers, you know, the flight kitchen supplier, the maintenance supplier, right? Then all that will happen is the airline's profits will go up. So when you give them the money, you have to have a contract with them that they in turn will protect 
60% of the wages and 60% of the working capital costs of all their suppliers. And their yep. suppliers have to have a contract. So it's very hard work. It can't be done sitting in a bhavan and writing fine. It can't be done. This is not the work of a tehsildar. This mm -hmm. is the work of a skilled business manager. And the government does not have skilled business managers. And therefore, I'm of the view that the government should pick and choose what it supports, do it well, and not try and do too much for everything. Now, I understand the political problem. If you pick one industry and you don't pick another industry, then they'll shout, they'll come, they'll lobby. But that's the job of government. If I'm told it's a strong government, then that strong government should show how strong it is by being strong, not sitting yeah. silent for one month like it is now. Yeah. Okay. So the next question we have is, in the current situation, India's BBB rating is already under pressure. Should India infuse more stimulus in the coming times, considering that it will lead to widening of fiscal gap and can have serious implications such as falling down of rating, leading to huge capital outflow and more pressure on the dollar to repeat? No, 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 no. People are getting it wrong. If you had to worry about fiscal gaps, then every country's rating will go to junk. Hmm. Therefore, what are rating agencies going to look at now? They are going to look at if you had a fiscal... Uh, uh, don't use the word stimulus. If you had a fiscal support package, you're not trying to stimulate anything. Either. You're trying mm. to support something. Yeah. Did that support package result in a slowing down in the deceleration in GDP growth mm. that would have occurred without that support package? If the answer is yes, the support package mm. was effective, your ratings will be safe. If the answer is no, the support package was ineffective, the money was badly spent, we're going back to the same thing again, you see. Then yeah. your rating will fall. Mm. And countries that are able to be efficient in their stimulus, in their sorry, in their support, will see their ratings survive. Countries who spend badly will see their ratings fall. But one thing is certain: countries who do nothing so that their GDP crashes will definitely see their ratings fall. So when you spend mm. more, you're taking a risk. But if you're not going to spend, if you're not going to do anything, <coughs> then it's a certainty your ratings will fall. Okay, sir. Uh, the next question. Uh, with a GNI per capita of around $2,000, India is among the lower middle-income countries. Now, considering uh, the hit that Indian businesses and industries have taken due to the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, what do you think is the magnitude of the impact on India's prospects of coming out of this trap? Which trap? Uh, the entire uh, crisis that has happened because of the COVID-19 pandemic. No, crisis is crisis, but which trap? So, uh, that the India is among the lower uh, middle-income countries. So, how it can come out of this situation and have a stable economy in the long run? Oh, but India is one of the lower middle-income countries because India is a very poor country. 80% hmm. of your people live on incomes of less than $2.5 a day. Hmm. Right? Your entire consumption, FMCG, all this nonsense is basically the demand of the top 100, 150, 10, 15%. You've seen what migrant labor are like. You've seen what kind of horrible situation they're in. So the majority of a country is not in lower middle income. It's a very poor country. And if we do nothing about this crisis, if we don't provide income support, if we continue to treat our migrant labor so badly as we have been seeing, then poverty will rise. And therefore, you have to make sure that people are supported to a much greater extent that is happening now. Because vulnerable people whose in, uh, incomes need to be supported. Now, some good things have happened here in the sense that we have managed to save our agricultural harvest. So if we manage okay. the food situation well, we shouldn't have too much of a problem. But this situation where you know, millions of people are migrating 
walking hundreds of kilometers with their children whose souls are burning hmm. while we sit here and you know sort of worry about uh, whether the local mall will open or not yeah this situation will make india much worse in the next 5 or 10 years that was going to be so whether you had covid or not covid has just brought it before your eyes literally like a movie that our growth pattern was becoming highly unequal highly dependent on a few things only their elites consume and yeah. therefore this this is not sustainable Any countries like us have fallen into this trap. I know what trap you're referring to now. I call it because I spoke about it. It's called the middle yeah. income trap, mm-hmm. and that trap is the normal story of countries like South Africa, Brazil, Thailand, or third class. I mean, in the sense that third class is they're okay. They're making four thousand dollars, but they have poverty. They have so you are going along that path. Now we'll be, uh, you know, if we continue business as usual, we'll be pushed even more along that path. So we have mm. to change the output composition of demand, mm. cars. air conditioners these cannot be the leading indicators of the indian economy it has to be agriculture textiles affordable yeah. housing so yeah. let's be put it the way if if the biggest growth prospect indian economy has yeah. is let us abolish slums by 2023 okay if you don't have slums your migrant labor will not want to run away if hmm. you don't have slums your covid will not spread right and there's prospect to build to at least 200 million houses to replace the slums That's a lot of GDP. So why? Mm. Not? So you have a choice. Do you want to still go on building air conditioners for a handful of people, or do you want to mm. deal with the real problems of India, which also provide economic opportunities, such as yeah. 400 rupee shirts, such as a slum-free mm. India, clean drinking water, better mm. education, better sanitation, a larger healthcare sector that is better endowed? These have to be the drivers of India's growth going forward, and then we will escape the middle-income trap. But at the moment, we are doomed to attain uh, to to attain the middle income trap, COVID or not, or no COVID, because the base of our growth is very poor, and that is why our growth mm. has been very bad over the last three or four years. Okay, sir. Uh, moving ahead with the next question, uh, according to a report of the Economic Times, uh, the MSME sector in the country employs over 110 million people and contributes nearly 30 percent to the country's GDP. The proposed rupees ten thousand crore fund of funds of the government can realistically pay salaries of only five percent of the employees. How, in such circumstances, the government and the small businesses can cope up with the situation, given that the funds allocated are deemed to be insufficient? More specifically, how can the government ensure that its objective of providing support to the MSMEs is achieved? I don't understand where these numbers are coming from. I'm not seeing them, so I can't comment on them. But with MSME, it's very simple. They are part of a supply chain. Hmm. You don't focus on the MSME alone. You protect yeah. the supply chain, which means you produce, you, you protect the people who buy from the MSME, hmm. and protect the people who sell to the MSME. Hmm. So obviously, you don't have money to protect each and every supply chain. So you have to do this tough job. You've got to pick sixty, eighty supply chains you're going to protect. For example, if hmm. I if I were having to do with it, I would say that hotels are finished for the next two or three years. Hmm. The industry is over. So you give the workers some income support, retrain them, but don't try and support MSMEs that supply stuff to hotels. But there's no reason for an MSME who is supplying, let's say, towels and bedsheets to a hotel, not to change its line of supply and supply towels and bedsheets to a healthcare industry. So if we have less hotels and more hospitals, then the MSME is protected, right? So this is the kind of strategic decision you have to take. And the key lies yeah. not in talking about MSMEs in the abstract, but in saying what are their outputs, who do they sell them to, who do they buy from. If the people they were selling them to are now basket cases, 
can be repurposed. Mm. Now, in some cases, that will not happen. The travel mm. trade is finished. There's no point trying to support MSMEs who are supplying the travel trade. But mm. the hotel trade can be repurposed. The real estate yeah. trade can be repurposed to low-cost housing in slum-free India. So there yeah. are many, many, just like, you know, you have now car factories making ventilators. That's called mm. a repurpose. So we have to start repurposing MSMEs to the outputs mm. that they should be producing in this new world, away yeah. from outputs that have no demand anymore from what they were producing in the old world. That should be the hmm. approach to MSME development. It's not the money or the financing, it is the effectiveness of the financing. Okay. Uh, the next question, sir. In a post-peak pandemic India, say one year from now, just like the central's wallets will be light, it will be even more so for the states. On the taxation front, will the, uh, with the federal revenue distribution mechanism, how do you think we can handle this? There is no question in my mind that it is not the job of the state government to incur more debt now. That job is that of the center. Because the center can get, can borrow at far more attractive terms than the states can. Both the states and the center will take a hit on tax revenues and therefore that will be proportionate. Mm. Uh, the state, some states have some leeway with things like alcohol taxation, you know, mm. petroleum excise. And I don't think we should, we should pressurize them not to increase taxes there. Fairly mm. elastic sources of demand. Uh, and because oil prices are low, if the states just keep petrol prices at the same level as they were when oil prices were high, the revenue will go up. So there's some hand there, but ultimately we are going to have to borrow from the future. And the bulk of that borrowing should be done with the center who can then lend it to the states. Uh, but it is there's no doubt in my mind that state finances have to be protected as a priority. Okay, sir. So the last question, uh, China usually sets its economic path by declaring an annual GDP target at its national legislature meeting. With it being delayed, there is a debate as to whether it should maintain, reduce or outrightly abandon, that is not declare, a target this fiscal. What do you think on this? You're talking about China? Yeah. I'm not Chinese, I have no idea. And they can do what they want to do. Okay, sir. Uh, with this, uh, we come to the end of this discussion. Thank you so much, sir, for joining us. It was an honor hosting you. And uh, thank you for such an, such an insightful and knowledgeable uh, interaction. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. This podcast was brought to you by the Economic Society of Sriram College of Commerce. You can find us on all podcast streaming platforms. And thank you for tuning in.